0: You're listening to the Bible Teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Good morning, Reality. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of um, Galatians and stand if you're able for the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. Our reading this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for those who but though for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another but i say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, one of the many cultural shifts that have occurred over the last 100 years or so has to do with the way that we view ourselves and our identity. People have gone from, at one time, identifying with a family or a group or even a faith community to now seeing ourselves as an individual, this individualized identity from us to me. An identity that is unique to me and that I and only I can discover within and the popular idea today is that each person has a self within a self that is always in danger of being lost or forgotten or stifled or being conformed to others and so the true you within needs to be uncovered. The true you within needs to be liberated and set free. And this has become almost a religious pursuit for people. Think about the the words that people use today. Be true to yourself. There's a self within, and you need to be faithful to him or her. Or how about this one? Follow your inner voice, right? Listen to the still, small voice of you and yield to that voice. Or how about this one? Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Have faith in yourself. It sounds like a pretty spiritual pursuit. And it's what's been called the gospel of self liberation. The gospel of self liberation, where we strive to set ourselves free from the stifling standards of the past. And in the present, try to live in alignment with our desires and our dreams. Uh, sin, according to the gospel of our day, has very little to do with God, has very little to do with holiness, and has everything to do with whether or not we are being true to ourselves. Like, that is the true moral taboo of the 21st century, failing to achieve self-fulfillment, not being true to yourself. So it's no surprise that the fruit of self-control is probably one of the most neglected of our generation. Think about that word, self-control. Love, yes Lord. Joy, hallelujah, peace, keep bringing it. Self-control. Yeah, about that. Think about this, a spiritual virtue that says, the self is not something to unleash, but something to bridle and submit to God's control. In fact, Paul would take it as far as to say, the self is something to crucify. Now, as this will probably sound very stifling and maybe even oppressive to some, and it's been called stifling and oppressive by many, my hope And my prayer for you today is that you would discover that the liberation and the freedom that I know that you desire most for your life is not experienced through self-fulfillment, but is experienced through the spiritual fruit of self-control. That's what I'm going to try to convince you of today. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage. We're looking at a broader portion of Galatians 5 today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three themes that I think are clear in this passage and help us to better understand the fruit, this final fruit of self-control. The three themes are these, calling, conflict, and crucifixion. Calling, conflict, crucifixion. Let's look first at calling. Look at me in verse 13. Before we look at that, let me, let me give it a header here. Let me give it a foundation A life marked by self-control is not achieved by looking within for the willpower to say no to certain patterns and behaviors. And it's not about mustering up the strength and motivation to do what is right. A life marked by self-control is the result of calling. And that is where Paul begins. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. This is what you've been called to. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't misunderstand freedom, but through love, serve one another. A freedom to serve. Well, this is strange. When it comes to living a fruitful life, Paul does not begin by appealing to our behavior. When Paul's talking about a fruitful life, he does not begin by appealing to modifying our habits or our motivations. He begins by appealing to our calling, to who we are and what we've been called to. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, a French poet and author once, captured this well in his famous quote. He said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather... Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. In other words, give them a vision of the life that is now possible and has been afforded to them. And that is what Paul is doing. He's saying, consider the life of freedom that you have been called into through faith in Jesus Christ. Consider this freedom. Now, pastorally, when I help people walk through areas of besetting sin in their life, one of the most important things that I do is to help them articulate a godly vision for their lives. And this is through asking really simple questions like this. What are you becoming? Where are you moving? Your life is always moving in one or two directions, one of two directions, but where are you going? What is the direction of your life? What do you desire? Who do you desire to be? Who has God called you to be? As Christians, we need to understand not just what we have been saved from, namely sin, but more importantly, we need to know what we've been saved for, the life that we've been saved into, a life of fruitfulness and fulfillment that God has created for us. And self-control is the very way that we step into this calling. Self-control is the way that we experience this freedom. Self-control is the way that we, to use biblical language, lay hold of the promises. With God's strength to not only say no to what is wrong, to what is unhelpful, but the grace and strength to say yes to what is right, and necessary. Tim Keller uh, would, would define self-control like this. Self-control is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent, rather than to be always impulsive and uncontrolled. Self-control may sound stifling, but think about the alternative. Self out of control impulsive self self self-controlled by circumstances self-control now earlier in verse seven a verse previous to the verses that we're looking at today paul describes the christian life as a race as a race you if you're christian you're running a race and think about a race a race is an endeavor to strive towards a clear goal, and races require some things. Race requires dedication. Race requires that faithfulness to finish and cross the finish line. A Race also requires discipline. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to run a marathon today. I think I'm ready. They train. They tell their body no to certain things and yes to certain things because of this goal of running a marathon. And then lastly, a race requires a clear direction. Please, this one's for free. Don't enter into a race if you don't know where the finish line is. A race requires clear direction, a vision for where you are going. And so my question for you today is, do you have a clear vision for what is most important in your life? Do you have a vision for your life, for your family, for your community? If you don't, then chances are you are really, really, really struggling with self-control right now. If you do not have a clear vision for your life, chances are self-control is not a strong point in your life. Let me, let me use some examples here. If you have no vision for the overall health of your body, you're probably going to lack self-control when it comes to what you put into it. Or if you do not have a vision for your finances, then you're probably going to lack self-control when it comes to your spending. And if you don't have a clear vision for your time, then chances are you're going to be wasting countless hours on entertainment, binging Netflix, and scrolling endless social media feeds. And if you have no vision for the freedom that is found through walking in the Spirit, then you will lack self-control over the desires of the flesh, the sin nature, and you will find yourself controlled by what's right in front of you, by what's easiest to access, the, the things that bring temporary pleasures, and ultimately, by that which brings bondage. See, the Bible warns us about this, and I think we know this from our own experience, that when we live to fulfill our desires, we end up being enslaved by our desires. When we live to satisfy those deep cravings, we end up being enslaved to those cravings. That's that's the bait and switch of sin. That's what sin does, man. It promises freedom, but it actually brings slavery. Can I get an amen? All right. That freedom that you thought sexual expression would bring bondage. That euphoric freedom that you thought that substance would bring, bondage, just asked an addict. That act of revenge that you thought would satisfy you so deep in your soul, bondage. See, sin is like stepping into a prison and expecting it to be a vacation. You will always be left disappointed and you will always end up staying far longer than you ever imagined. So what's the kind of freedom that's being described here? We all want freedom. We live in the land of the free. I mean, it's a cultural value, but what is this freedom? What is the freedom that's being described here? It is not, hear me, it is not the ability to do whatever you want. That is not freedom. It is, however, the grace to do what God promises will bring life. That's freedom. It means being rescued out of the bondage to self and all of our impulses towards sin that result in what Paul describes here as sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and things like these. Very exhaustive list. It sounds like the 21st century church. to be rescued out of this impulse and brought into a life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Simply put, freedom means the ability to be the new, true you, to be the most authentic version of the redeemed you. And self-control, make sure that you experience that. Self-control makes sure that you do not forfeit your identity in Jesus Christ. Calling. Secondly, the second theme I want us to explore today in this passage to help us better understand self-control is conflict, conflict. Now, when we think about self-control it is often a very trivial thing in our minds i think that we th- we imagine like being in the grocery store and intentionally like passing by like the aisle with candy you're like get behind me satan not today satan or like the bread aisle like get thee behind me complex carbohydrates not on my watch today and we keep on going it's not less than that <laughs> but it's so much more than that when the scriptures mention self control it is not trivial It's not something to disregard. In fact, the fruit of self-control fits into a bigger conversation here about an ongoing spiritual struggle that's occurring within each and every one of us. And Paul describes it like this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of our flesh are anti-God, And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You think yielding to God is keeping you from the things that you want to do. No, yielding to your desires is what's keeping you from doing the things that you really, truly deep down want to do. Conflict between the spirit and the flesh, or better described as the new you and the old you, the life of righteousness. The the life of sin. And in this conflict, the question for us is what gives us the upper hand? Because life is a struggle, and we all can associate with that inner conflict, and it feels like a losing battle every single day. We just wake up, rinse, repeat the same conflict, giving in to sin. So here's the question. What gives us the upper hand in this conflict that we are all engaged in? And I believe the answer is clear and right in front of us. Self-control. In Proverbs 25, it says a man or a woman without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, defenseless, broken. The fruit of self-control is the believer's defense against sinful desires that wage war on our soul and seek day after day to undermine our identity and our calling in Jesus Christ. With self-control, we will withstand attack. We will withstand temptation. Without it, all bets are off. Without self-control, we're gonna be overcome. I'm reminded of a novella from the author Robert Louis Stevenson titled, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You're probably at least familiar with the premise of the story, but the story is of a doctor who comes up with this potion that will allow him to take that inner conflict that we're describing here between good and evil and separate it into two distinct people. Dr. Jekyll will be the orderly, well-put-together, you know, self-control individual, and Mr. Hyde will be the indulgent, wild, out-of-control version of himself. But what was this calculated attempt to live out both sides of himself, which I would argue many of us are falling into that false notion, by the way. What was a calculated attempt to live out both sides of himself simultaneously soon became a disastrous journey. Dr. Jekyll loses control, and he finds himself helpless Uh, In in the face of these transformations into Mr. Hyde, they're getting out of control and it's requiring stronger and stronger doses to sort of reverse the trend and become his normal self. And the story is bleak and it concludes with him realizing that he will soon become Mr. Hyde forever. And he's been totally taken over by the self-indulgent, out-of-control side of himself. Now, I'm familiar with the story, but something I missed in the story until recently was this, that one of the interesting things about the story is that the friends of Dr. Jekyll know that something's wrong. The first indication in the story that things have gotten out of control and this inner conflict has manifested is when Dr. Jekyll amends his will. He actually goes and legally amends his will and signs all of his property over to Mr. Hyde. What was the beginning of the end for Dr. Jekyll when he aligned his future with his wrong self? when he signed his life over to his wrong self. And this really seems to be the idea here, that that conflict of desires within, if we're gonna be honest today, the conflict that we all have, will you align yourself with the flesh or with the spirit? Who or what are you allowing to control your life in your future? You are being controlled right now. That's not in question. The question is, who will it be? Who will have control of your life, your flesh or the spirit? At the end of the day, self-control is so much more than whether or not we're gonna give in and eat another like Girl Scout cookie or go down the aisle. It's, it, it's far more than that. It's, it's really a question of who you're aligning yourself with. Like, which you are are you staking your future on? Your true self, the the new you in Christ that is marked by righteousness and freedom and real power, or the false self, the old you that is marked by sin and selfishness and unbridled desire? Who are you staking your everything on? And here's the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that you don't have to be controlled by your circumstances. Stop believing that. The hope of the gospel is that you don't have to be controlled by your urges. Stop believing that. The hope of the gospel is that you don't have to be controlled by sin. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been set free to live free. The power of sin has been broken. God has welcomed you into real freedom to be experienced in this life. And now you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to say yes to what is godly and right and no to what is ungodly and wrong. This is a life that is yours through Jesus Christ, will you lay hold of it today? Will you stake your future on this you, this hope, this Christ? Let's look finally at crucifixion. Crucifixion. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Talk about a countercultural idea. In the face of self liberation and, and, and self actualization and unleashing self, Paul goes as far as to say, No, let's crucify that thing. Let's crucify that thing. The Bible tells us that when we are united with Jesus by faith, that we are united in both his death and his resurrection. So wrap your mind around this. Crucifixion and resurrection is just as much a part of your story as it is Jesus's now. Just as much as a part of your life and your story and your lineage as it was for Jesus. And what this means then is that our path to freedom, the path to freedom that we all long for is going to be a path through death to self. The life of abundance, the resurrection life that we all crave is first going to take us down the Via Dolorosa, the path of suffering, the path of death, the path of crucifixion. And so there's really two sides of this. This means first, this is a once and for all thing that occurs when we believe on Christ and we're saved. Paul would say earlier in Galatians 2 that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer me. Me's dead. Christ is alive in me once and for all. But it's also a daily rhythm for the believer. In fact, Jesus himself would say in Luke chapter nine, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you're going to follow me, this is what it means. Take up your cross daily. Something I hear often from people is that they don't want to lose themselves. No one wants to lose themselves. People don't want to lose, they enter into a new job. I don't want to lose myself in this new job. They enter into a relationship. I don't want to lose myself in this relationship. And I sadly even hear this when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. I love God. I want to be a part of his church, but I don't want to lose myself in this equation. But listen to what Jesus says immediately after this call to daily die to self. He says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Listen, here's how I'm gonna sum it up. Self-denial, self-denial isn't forfeiting who you are. It's securing who you are. It's not letting go of who you are. It's letting go to really, truly take it up So much of our lives are lived on that path of self-discovery. That's the story of the 21st century Westerner. We're trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to figure out our place in this world. And yet the funny thing is that the more we go down that path of self-discovery and self-actualization and trying to figure out who we are, the more insecure we are about ourselves. Like I mentioned earlier, our self is this very fickle thing that is always in danger of being lost. We're always afraid of it being forgotten or overlooked or stifled or conformed to others. And so the question we really need to consider is why is yourself so fragile and volatile? Why is it always just so like right there at the brink, at risk of being lost? And here's what I believe, it's because you haven't dared to lose it. You're losing it because you haven't dared to lose it. It, It's it's escaping through your grasp because you haven't been willing to let it go. You're hanging on. And you see, the longer that we cling to self, the more self will escape our grasp. Self-control, is not a strong grip on our lives. Self-control is not me controlling my life. It's surrender to God. And the In the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, the more that you entrust yourself to God's control, the more self-control that you will enjoy. And the more you, you will become. And so here's what I'm calling you to in light of this final fruit of the Holy Spirit. In the words of C.S. Lewis, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and in him everything else thrown in. Can I get a big amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...